Richmond Raceway, overlooking the track with Matt Weaver of Auto Week and Short Track Scene. You know, is that correct? It is correct, and I'm actually sitting here overlooking the fairgrounds, the the Richmond Fairgrounds Speedway. Oh, okay. We're we're bringing it back. We're going old school. Okay, okay. Well, um, we saw kind of interesting, interesting race tonight. I would say I saw. Well, I, I will say in. From your tweets, I know you think it was very interesting, like super interesting. I thought it was good. I wouldn't say it was like the best thing ever, but I thought it was pretty decent. Why did you think it was such a good race um, without all the cautions uh, until the end? You know, when I watch a race and I try to, to judge my entertainment level, it's based on do I feel like the, the battle for the lead is always in question? Uh, is there pretty good action on the track? And I feel like I got both of those, especially in the the first half when it stayed green. There were numerous points during the first half where the leaders were nose to tail, running through lap traffic. Uh, I think sometimes there is a a belief among some fans that if there's not constant restarts and, and crashing, then the the race isn't you know, it isn't worth their time or isn't entertaining. But I always felt like there was a battle going on for position within the top five, the top ten. Uh, the start of the race had several fast cars, uh, Kyle Busch and Eric Almirola, having to race their way through. So I was constantly seeing passing. And sometimes I don't think TV even picks up on that. Okay, so wait, your, your two criteria, your two boxes checked are, um, is there... Uh, is the lead in doubt, essentially? Is there battles for the lead? And are there battles, are there passing elsewhere throughout the field? Is that what you said? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. I mean, I feel like as long as there's action, I just want to okay. see action. So where where do um, contact and crashes and therefore cautions play into that? Or do they not play into that at all, into what makes a good race? Well, as a short track guy, I would love to see more contact. And that's something that... You know, Richmond just hasn't had in recent years. But it's an overall trend in, in NASCAR short track racing, too. I mean, Martinsville, this year especially, did not feature the the pushing and shoving to the degree that you expect to see. I think Bristol was kind of a an outlier on Monday just because the track conditions were so unique and it's hard to really draw any sort of conclusions out of that. So, yeah, I would love to see more beating and banging, more traditional barn burner, um, bullring style racing. But if you can't get that, at least just give me a battle for the win that is compelling and makes you feel like you don't know who's going to win until the last minute. Well, that, w- that was definitely the case. Uh, I- I'll say that. That was definitely the case about this race because there was never a time when I was like sitting here bored as in some past Richmond races where you'll see a guy just take off, um, just one guy dominate the race. And I just think if if it had been one guy dominating and it had been green for that long, then it's not a good race. Mm-hmm. But the fact that there was leaders and comers and goers and all that stuff and you saw guys, you know, guy would get up to second. You'd be like, oh, look at this guy. And then he'd fade on tires and somebody else would come up through the field. Um, that made it interesting. 
you know, it wasn't like a ton of lead changes, but you had enough lead changes to make it interesting. And then when you combine the um, the, the cautions at the end, then you everybody kind of got what they wanted. But I, I do think, though, Matt, that there would have been a lot of hand-wringing had the only cautions in, in the race at a short track been for the stage breaks. I mean, you don't even see that at a mile-and-a-half track, or we haven't seen that yet. So that would have been a big, um, like you would have that that would have lit up talk radio all week. I think. Yeah, it, it would have been the, it would have been the narrative, um, which I think is somewhat unfair because it's we got we got two different fans we're trying to please here. We've got the fans who want to see, you know, action and they want to see restarts and they love seeing guys come across and to turn one side by side and to them that what. That's what dictates it being a good race. Then you have, on the other side, fans who want a more natural race, who feel like when NASCAR would throw out, rightly or wrongly, uh, the debris caution, we're joined here, and we've got a party behind us. Yeah, um, that's right. There's there's the cleanup crew coming in to the suites since we crashed somebody's suite. Um, <laughs> anyway, I lost my train of thought there. But yeah, right, well, okay. Let, let me let me say this though. I think that um, cautions are they they're like either the equivalent of a soccer goal where um, you don't need a ton of goals to make it a good soccer game, but you need one or two. Uh, I think Brad Keselowski said something on, similar on Twitter recently, where you need like two or three cautions or something like that to have to at least make it not a boring race, but you don't need too many necessarily. Or, or it's a hockey fight. You know, you go to a hockey game, you maybe want your one good fight a game, just be like, ah, and everybody gets riled up, but you don't want tons of fights like the entire game. Something like that, where it's it's just, it's almost like part of it. Do you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, but this is what I would ask you. Why do fans typically want a caution and a restart? Because they feel like the, the action has gotten too spread out, right? and the guys racing for the win aren't close to each other anymore. And I never felt that way during this race. There were numerous times where the top three were nose to tail. There was that one really good battle right before we had the, the first natu- natural caution, when you had the, the 4 and the 14 mixing up with the 78 as well. And that was pretty much the story of this entire race. You had always at least three cars within a, a second and a third of each other, and that's the only reason why fans want the restarts is they want to have cars bunched up together. We had that throughout the race. I, I do agree with that. That's a very valid point. I, I will also say that your term natural cautions, I think you're – I don't know if anybody else has used that or I've, I've seen that elsewhere, but I'm definitely stealing that with credit. <laughs> I'm definitely going to start saying natural cautions for the cautions that are not stage break or competition cautions. I think that's a good way to, to put them. And it does feel more natural in general now because um, before you would have said, well, debris cautions aren't natural cautions because <laughs> the way that they use debris cautions. And I think that everybody's acknowledged that NASCAR has changed the way they officiate the race over the last year or so. So um, now when you see a debris caution, for the most part, you're like, there's no you're not questioning it as much. You're like, okay, that was that was a caution. You know? No, and for me, I was just trying to come up with a disclaimer because once we got through really approaching the second stage break and we still hadn't had a caution other than the first stage break, I'm like, we're going all the way through this race so far without some sort of incident. So how do I how do I describe that in some way that's tangible? And I came up with a natural caution. Wait, just tonight? That was the first time you thought of that? No, no, oh. no. I've used that before. Oh, but, okay. But... but 
it's always the same thought process. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every gotcha. single time that this comes up, I have like the same train of thought that eventually yeah. leads me to natural caution. Gotcha. Okay. So we haven't even mentioned the, win- <laughs> the race winner yet. Um, NASCAR's newest uh, popular driver candidate. What the? F- yeah. yeah. I mean, what the hell's going on here, Matt? Like, okay, okay. This is what. This is how weird this is. So this is the 10 year anniversary, obviously, as, as everybody knows about. Uh, this Richmond race where Kyle Busch spins Dale Jr. He had to have security to get out of here, and for the next year he got death threats and had to have, as he said on the Dale Jr. download podcast, he had to have an FBI agent covertly following him at races and things like that. He and and I wrote about it in my in my piece that I the the oral history piece. I mean he would get death threats. It, it was like a real thing. So here we are back at Richmond. He wins a race, and what does he decide to do? He decides to climb into the stands. Joe Gibbs, upon hearing this after the race, was shocked. He he thought the reporter, I think, was joking. I think it was Bob that asked. Yeah. And he, he turned to Kyle. He's like, did you really do that? And Kyle's like, yeah, buddy. And Gibbs is like, what? No. No, I don't want you doing that. No. Like, they let you out? Yeah. Like, he, you know, he's so used to the prospect of Kyle getting, like, torn limb from limb. And Kyle, but, you know, he went up there. He, he high-fived people. He came back out. And, and I asked him, you know, why why now? And he said, Partly because of the the 10-year anniversary. And the weird thing is, too, what, what did you hear the same thing I did when he went up there as far as the reaction? Yeah, it was totally positive. It cheered, people were cheering. Absolutely. And listen. I don't understand. The, the disclaimer there is that you always hear a fair share of cheers when he wins, typically for two reasons. One, only his fans are still there when he wins a race because <laughs> everyone else has hightailed it. But to me, I had a moment earlier today where I felt like the tide had turned a little bit too because he was cheered pretty well in driver intros. You had no. this mat- you had this mattering of booze. Really? Yeah, because I was actually sitting. You know, I was coming down from the press box, so I was actually sitting right here, turn one and two, this area, uh-huh. and I just wanted to watch the driver intros from there before making my way down. Yeah. And where I was standing here in one and two, I thought it was not overwhelmingly positive, but I felt like if, if you were still doing the, um, the cheerometer thing, yeah. I thought it would lean more towards the positive than negative. Really? And I don't think I've really felt that way in, in previous seasons. No, I'm pretty sure that I even, you know, I used to do like cheers, booze or mix. And I'm, I don't even ever recall Kyle Busch getting mixed. It was just pretty much. I mean, yeah, you'd see, you'd hear some people cheering, but for the most part, the boos were overwhelming. So, if he's starting to move into mix, possibly, I would compare that to Jeff Gordon because when I first um, started covering NASCAR, Gordon was like a hundred percent boos, and later in his career, he started getting mix, and then the last final years were cheers. So, so here's the test. Okay, we're going to Talladega. Dude, there's no. Oh, he's going to get massive boost. I, I would yeah. think that. I'm not. Conventional I'm not in any wisdom way saying that Kyle Busch is a fan favorite or that he's suddenly going to become popular or anything like that. But I'm if Redneck Jesus, that, if Redneck yeah. Jesus gives him the full endorsement, which he has, yeah. and on Twitter he's had very complimentary things to say. Is that enough to give them the nudge? You know, half of them aren't on Twitter anyway, so it doesn't matter, and they're not listening to the podcast. Yeah. But is it enough to 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 change the direction of the tide? I don't know. I think maybe slow. I mean, the, the Twitter reaction this week to Kyle was definitely interesting in that, I mean, there was a lot of junior fans in my timeline um, that were saying, okay, you know, maybe maybe I was wrong about this guy. Can you tell him to unblock me? Things like that. I mean, it, like, people are at least giving him a second look. I'm not sure if they're going to like him, but they're, they're at least being like, eh. 
maybe he's not. And and I think anybody that listens to that podcast too. I mean, it was so uh, long and and introspective from both drivers really opening up. I think people can at least understand some of the things where he was coming from a little bit more. So maybe when you do that with anybody, it doesn't matter what what person it is. You you kind of go, okay, I can see that a little bit more, and and it they become uh, less of a one dimensional character the way the way i put it to myself earlier i I was thinking that it it humanized what was previously just a character people only accept kyle bush as being this this character that he's created for himself so now you've added another layer a very human a very real a very flawed a very almost sympathetic in that case that season 10 years ago because of the way he felt like dell was pushing him out and just the the circumstances concerning their crash at kansas i think that it made you almost feel like this guy had a legitimate gripe and maybe you're not going to like the guy but at least you understand you sympathize with the circumstances yeah i mean it's it's very interesting and i'll I'll be fascinated to see the evolution of it because as we've as we've talked about and i think kind of overlooked i mean as fans are trying to pick a new driver and things like that um these you know everybody was saying which young guy are you going to pick well the young guys aren't doing anything to earn the earn any of these fans on the track i mean blaney bubba people like that they've done great things social media wise and personality wise to earn new fans. But ultimately it is a sport and you want to root for somebody that's probably going to at least have a chance to win. And if, if you're a fan and you're like, well, wait a minute, Kyle Busch is only 32 years old. He wins a lot. That would be kind of nice if my driver was winning each week. You know, I think it's something where they could be like, maybe I could invest in, I mean, it is kind of a mind blowing thing, but um, I don't know. It'll it'll be fascinating to see how it how it evolves. I don't know. I don't I don't really know. I I can't have a guess because I wouldn't have guessed to this point that ten years later, after all that, he would be going in the stands. Exactly. Place, that's that's so. that's the the sea change for me. Is like we talk about how there's no way things are going to change that quickly. But I could have never predicted he's going to go in the stands and high five and hug and and can't get away from the fans because there's a degree of adoration there. Yeah. So let's talk about other things that happened in this race. One notable thing was Kyle Larson and Jamie McMurray. Now, neither of us were able to catch up with Jamie McMurray after the race. Bob Pachris did and did not get any sort of answers whatsoever. McMurray basically told him, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even think there was anything uh, at all. Larson um, at least said, yeah, I think Jamie was upset. I'm not sure why because, as we saw from the replays, it didn't look like Larson did anything wrong. Very unusual for Jamie McMurray to sort of lose his cool like that. Um, is his season where he's only 24th in the points right now, uh, is that starting to take a toll on him? What, what, what happened here? Yeah, I don't know what happened on the track because you go back and you look at the replays, it doesn't add up. So I, I don't know if there's something that maybe TV didn't catch or the, the replays couldn't show because we couldn't talk to Jamie to, to get that side of the story. So anything beyond well, even that, if we could have apparently, right, right. So anything there would be speculation. So all that we can really talk about is just the larger picture story here. And this isn't just about this week. I remember, um, actually let me tell you a little backstory to something. I was walking in the garage area at Bristol last week and I saw Matt McCall, his crew chief. And I thought about, reaching out to Matt and say, hey, you, let's, let's talk about your year so far. Because even then, last week, I was thinking the the difference in pace between the 1 and 42 is just so significant that I wanted to know 
what's going on there. And then I just decided to let it go because I said, you know, small sample size still. And maybe I should have because now it's part of a larger story. But I think there is some degree of frustration there between both Matt and Jamie that things just aren't clicking right there. And it's become very apparent when the 42 team has been winning over the past year or so and has been contending for um, spots in the playoffs, and they're not. And so I, I I think that sort of thing is starting to boil over, and it's not about any sort of frustration with Kyle. It's just about where he's at right now in his career and the lack of results. Yeah, so just looking at this here, um, Larson has 121 more points, if I'm adding that up correctly, than his teammate. That is a very bad disparity. Because typically in NASCAR, unless something is weird with the driver, like let's say Danica with – you knew where I was going with that already. I didn't even say <laughs> You Danica said it so I don't and, have to. Stuart Haas, um, teammates typically run together because it's more about the car than the driver. You see that with Stuart Haas it, in this race tonight. I mean, all the Stuart Haas cars, they're all good at once. You know, Gibbs, for the most part, they're all good at once usually. Hendrick, when they're not good – they're all not good, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not like one's an outlier. So I, I do think it's it's sort of a red flag, and McMurray's certainly getting up there in years, and when you have your teammate in the exact same equipment going out there and running you, outrunning you every week to such a large, a large degree, I can imagine why there'd be some frustration there, especially if you think your teammate may have played a role uh, how he was incorrect. But I think that's like a little bit of the, the truth coming out right there and how he probably really feels. Deep I think down. So. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that man to be a fly on the wall at, at the Ganassi shop on Monday or Tuesday, whenever they get around to, to having that meeting would be so fascinating because I, I think there are probably some honest internal conversations that need to be had, not necessarily just about Jamie and, and Kyle and what happened today, but just about what's going on, especially with the one team overall, because clearly something's not clicking. Any else? Anything else uh, stick out to you from tonight? We had another Chase Elliott runner-up finish, although it's not like he had a shot to win and blew it or something, but, I mean, it was good for him to get up to second. No, but I mean... He's still going to go down as another runner-up finish <laughs> without him getting a win. No, his season was starting to, to snowball a little bit, you know, the... The two penalties this year, uh, the three in the past calendar year, that was the narrative going into this weekend. But actually, his teammate, William Byron, is somebody that I want to talk about just briefly because this was a moment where I felt like it's not a true downforce track, so the jury's still out. But at this point of the season, any good run is something to be very proud of, and he was. He had the one issue on pit road, caught speeding, still came back to finish uh, 12th, probably had a top five car and he said that he said we had a car capable of running with the 18 and he said that he had, he had blew that himself but just being able to prove that you can take that car and run top five with it was something that i think is very very relieving to him because this has not been an easy start of the year and granted hendrick has been down as a whole so it's hard to even judge him as a rookie just because his teammates are struggling as well but I, I think today William Byron showed flashes of the guy that won the Xfinity Championship, won seven races in trucks, and was just pretty much a, a natural in every single car he gets into. So good run for him. I also think we have to mention Jimmy Johnson because he was completely off the radar, it seemed like, the entire night. He was lapped down for most of the night, running 20-something, finished sixth. 
that's kind of old school Jimmy Johnson comeback right there. I don't even know how that happened, honestly. I'm not exactly sure how they got back up to that position, to be totally honest with you. Yeah, so i got to go I, back and watch the race again, I but I think idea. the cautions probably played in their favor. And, yeah, uh, took a wave around or something. A savvy veteran like him who knows how to restart took advantage of it. Yeah. Um, so now comes Talladega. Um, can Kyle Busch win four in a row? I'm going to say probably not just because it's Talladega and it's hard to just go out and win a race there. I don't care how hot you are at the moment. Um, but I, I do think this is a, a really golden opportunity for somebody because two drivers have won six of the first nine races, Harvick and Kyle Busch. And so there's no storyline as I wrote my column, that's has any sort of um, like, oh, are there going to be more than 16 winners this year? There's, that's gone. Like nobody's talking about that. Mm-hmm. So um, as these drivers continue to pile up the wins and hog all the wins, there's going to be a lot of spots open. But it's going to be spots open for guys that are having very consistent good seasons. So when we talk about guys like a Chase Elliott, 20th in points, McMurray, 24th in points, um, let's see who else here. There's even a Stenhouse, 19th in points. Talladega sort of looms as like an opportunity. If you're going to do something, you kind of got to do it there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, you know, here, here's the thing. I've had people tell me that they want to see the four team and the 18 team keep rolling off the wins because for a lot of those guys who are kind of in the middle of the pack, that's their only chance to make the playoffs. They're not going to steal a win. And if someone goes out there, outside of the top 20 and wins, it takes a, a spot away from those guys who, like you said, are consistent. So I, I think watching that dynamic on next Sunday at Talladega is going to be interesting because you know how it is. Once we get to 10, 15 to go, then you start to assess who's in the top 10, who has a chance, and what would that do to the overall playoff picture. And, you know, we've had a couple of upsets before at Talladega in the spring, you know, it was a different era, and it didn't count towards a playoff, but a guy like David Reagan, who very well in that same equipment now, he's back with front row, could go out there and do the same thing again. So, you know, it's fun. Talladega's awesome in the sense that it's a sense of unpredictability, and it could be a, a big-picture shakeup. Well, Matt, we're both on deadline here, and it's, uh, I think, past midnight here at the track. So Before we I'm break this up, okay. I got one thing I do want to ask you. Okay. I was I was thinking earlier just about the season as a whole, and I wanted to pick your brain about it. I think by by and large, this has been a fun start to the season. Even though two guys have won six races, I've enjoyed a lot of the racing so far. I, I thought Texas was kind of frustrating, new surface. That was hard to watch. Fontana was dominated. But I think by and large, it's been a fun race to the season or a fun start to the season. I'm curious where you stand on that. I don't think so. No. So I I really figured, agree. we have to find something to argue oh, that's about. Right. We said before the podcast we we're going to try to find something to disagree about, but I, I don't. I don't think it's been that great of a uh, season so far, Matt. Um, Bristol was awesome. I, I loved Bristol race, but aside from that, I mean Daytona was a crazy race because there was tons of wrecks and you had a great story with Bubba at the end there and. Um, that, that was interesting, but then, you know, the races since then, um, especially at the bigger tracks, I didn't think were anything special. Um, Phoenix was fun. Phoenix. Really good battles there. There was one point at Phoenix where I looked over to you and said, this is awesome. Remember? No, remember. No. No, there's a really good. <laughs> listen, listen. Sorry. Most <laughs> most of you who know me and who follow me on Twitter or who read my stories know that if the product is crappy, I'll sit there and I'll tell you. 
and I thought the racing at Phoenix was really good. Texas was a, like I said, was was hard to watch. Bristol on Monday was awesome. Um, Martinsville, even the worst Martinsville race, which that was probably one of the worst Martinsville races, is still a good race compared to, like you said, the downforce races. So yeah. to me, I just look at the bigger picture, and I've had some some good races to cover this year. I guess, but what are the storylines? I mean, I think I feel like it's it's sort of a lacking, um, you know, because what, what's happened is you have Kyle Busch, you have Harvick, and Truex are probably the three best cars. Well, they were probably also the three best cars last year, and they were probably also the three best cars the year before that. And those were three of the final four drivers um, last year. And and it's just sort of like, well, this isn't really surprising or, or new or unique necessarily. I'm kind of waiting for like that that breakout person or some new person to emerge. And especially I think there was so much hope for some of the, the shakeups and the fresh names and, and all that stuff with the different teams. I'll even include Almirola in that. Um, and, and you see flashes of it, like with Byron tonight and even Almirola tonight. But, um, you know, I just don't uh, – I, I guess I'm still waiting for it. I don't think the season as a whole has been particularly compelling. I don't think it's been bad. I just don't think it's been like, oh, this is really fun. I'm I'm waiting for the fun still, I guess. See, I, I think what's happening here then is that you're taking more of a a, a macro approach. You're looking at the no, larger I'm at stuff. I'm looking at both. Because then I look at like the individual races and yeah. I, I look, hey, did I enjoy covering this race? And like today I would have said yes. And Bristol I would say yes on Monday at least. Um, Texas, no. Uh, Vegas, no. Atlanta, yes. Daytona, yes. Those are more okay. yeses than nos. All right. Well, um, let's try to figure out what other people are going to think of tonight's race. And we already went pretty deep into the reasons for yes and no um, beforehand. But I will say in the Was It a Good Race poll last week, Jordan Bianchi uh, not only predicted, not only got it right and beat me in, in, the, in the contest to guess who was closer uh, for the yes percentage, but he got it exactly right. So you have some pressure this week to not only beat me, but to try to get it right on the number. Last week it was 88% yes saying that they enjoyed Bristol, and that was the correct answer. So um, what percentage of people, Matt, will say that it was a good race for Richmond? Oh, man. Is this a weekly thing? Yeah. Because it should be. This would be a fun game. Yes, it is. Um, because of the lack of cautions and because it's still a Cowbush win, I'm going to be very conservative. I'm going to say um, – 61. Oh, I'm afraid you're way too low. You Way too I, low? I, I, I don't even want to let you guess that because I feel like it's going to be way too low. I don't I don't want to – I mean, you can, but I just feel like it's going to be such an easy – I'm just going to cruise to an easy win if you guess that low. I think historically it would be – are you you're sticking with that? I'm going to stick with it because that's oh. where my gut's at. But this is like – I'm a terrible a guesser. Baby, <laughs> this is so easy. I'll, I'll not, I'm not even going to price this right you on this. I'm not even going to go low and just try to trap you. You're not going to play percentage. the $1 game? No. I, I'll, I'll give you plenty of room, but I'm going to say that 80% of people are going to say that this was a good race. Even though we sat down talking about all the ways this race was flawed, you still think people are going to overwhelmingly vote yes? Well, it was. I think the the battles were decent, and you do get penalized. Uh, you know, maybe I'm being too high, but I'm just trying to. I was trying to emphasize my point. I'm trying to like, you know, like high step it into the end zone, <laughs> scoring on you here because I'm so confident that your 61 percent is 
too low. And again, I um, don't think that, but I think that. No, no, I get that. Every you're, single you're time saying, yeah. I love a race here recently, I feel like people crap on it, and I have no idea what fans think anymore. Okay. It's probably going to be, it's it's almost assuredly going to be in the 70s, which is why I'm just going to say 80, and then I'll just be able to win uh, <laughs> almost almost either way. And this is a gimme. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like it is. But um, anyway, I'll go with 80%. Matt's going with 61%. If you want to tweet us about this podcast, feel free to do so by using the hashtag natural caution. How do you like that, Matt? I love it. <laughs> okay. And where can people follow your work? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter, at MattWeaverAW. That's the best place, a good mix of my, my work, my stories, and just opinions. Um, on Facebook, Matt Weaver Motorsports, um, AutoWeek.com, and uh, Short Track Scene cover a ton of Late models, like the Denny Hamlin race on Thursday, what a good time that was. Uh, the NASCAR Modified Tour, and um, I'm kind of all over the place. It's the Matt Weaver World Tour. Okay. Well, coming up on the next episode of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast, we have a 12 questions with Simon Pagino, the IndyCar Series driver, and then it's a How I Got Here with Dave Alpern, the president of Joe Gibbs Racing. I guess it's a good week to have that going. So those are the next two episodes, and then... I don't know what I'm going to do for the um, post-race podcast next week, Matt, because I'm going to be at a wedding. I'm the best man in a wedding. I'm skipping Talladega. Can you believe that? That's a, what was my, that's what was a my tough friend to swallow. Yeah, I know. My sister got a, or my sister had a baby um, last year for the Bristol Night Race, and she chose that date. And the week prior to that was Michigan. And I told her, I said, "Listen, April, I love you, and I love this baby already. But could you have not done this a week earlier in Michigan?" So like, what did you do? So I missed the Bristol night race, but oh, I was okay. I was Good there uncle. for the Good the uncle. truck series and modifieds on Wednesday there for Xfinity, but then had to miss out of the Cup race. Okay, all right. Well, so I, I won't feel too bad though about missing Talladega, although I, I do feel pretty guilty. But so I have no idea what's going to happen. Maybe uh, maybe I'll make my friend after he gets married uh, watch the race with me or something like that. Anyway. I appreciate you listening. Appreciate Matt taking so much time to do this on Deadline. And we'll talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast.